Welcome to the Droma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Welcome to the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association of Joma podcast. I'm your host, Elisa Minkin. I am a general pediatrician and proud Joma member. And tonight I'm really, really honored and really, really excited to interview Dr. Eli Rosenberg. Before I introduce Dr. Rosenberg, I'm going to mention, as I always do, that if you have a topic you're interested in hearing, someone you want to um, hear me interview or you yourself want to be interviewed, please reach out to me at health, H-E-A-L-T-H at joma.org. Also, feedback on the episodes are greatly appreciated. So, Dr. Rosenberg is an infectious disease epidemiologist and the deputy director for science in the Office of Public Health at the New York State Department of Health. He is also an associate professor in the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics, University at Albany School of Public Health, State University of New York, and has been a guest scientist with the U.S. Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. He received his BS from Cornell University and his PhD in epidemiology from Emory University. His research is focused on studies and methods to address public health challenges in HIV, sexually transmitted infections, viral hepatitis, drug user health, and emerging infectious diseases, including COVID-19. He is the author of over 170 peer-reviewed publications, including multiple papers in the New England Journal of Medicine and the Journal of the American Medical Association. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Dr. Rosenberg. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. You know, let's start with the story that, you know, a lot of people are talking about, which is the news of the man in Rockland County who had not only polio, but a case of what's called paralytic polio. That's right. That's right. Um, That's right. And actually, our official report came out today in CDC's publication, MMWR, sort of chronicling um, our, uh, the diagnosis of this case in July, um, uh, and sort of all the other findings, uh, associated with that, which includes detection of polio virus and wastewater in multiple, uh, counties of New York state. So, um, uh, yeah, so we can go through that whole story, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, whichever part you want to start with. I, I, I want you to explain to us what we know about it. That's right. So what we're talking about is a case of someone with paralysis, which is really some of the, the most extreme outcomes of, uh, of a polio virus, polio virus infection. So there's a, when we talk and we see a case of paralytic polio, we call it the tip of the iceberg because we know for every paralytic case, there's uh, some other person, uh, a, a larger number of people with more mild symptoms and many, many without any symptoms at all. So we're talking someone with a, with a, a paralytic case, uh, a paralytic case of polio. Um, very, um, and uh, we, we know that it's not what we call wild type polio, which is the original uh, circulating strains of, of polio, but what's it's called uh, a vaccine derived strain from an, uh, of Sabin type two. And what that means is we can go into all the details of this, but this is from a, uh, a mutation um, uh, of a, this is a reverse mutation from a type of vaccine that's not given in the United States, um, frankly, and uh, has uh, mutated and uh, circulated in the community and caused illness. 
And I really wanted to get a chance to talk about uh, all the specifics of that because what we're what we use here in the United States to safeguard against uh, polio virus uh, disease, including paralysis, is a is a very different vaccine called IPV, which is an inactivated poliovirus vaccine. And I want to talk about why that's a very safe and effective vaccine and very different from uh, and very different from the types of vaccines I mentioned a moment ago. And um, uh, so we're talking about a case of someone who is unvaccinated, um, who acquired this type of uh, uh, of of you know poliovirus and has gotten ill. So very important to note that, he's, that this that this person was unvaccinated and became ill, and right. that's one of the most important pieces of this. Right. I want to also underscore that we know that this is not somebody who got it from going to another country. That's right. And acquired here. That's right. We have wait. The, the person's uh, travel history. Mm-hmm. is incompatible with them going overseas and getting this type of, of, of virus. We think there's, uh, it's one of those things that somebody gave it to somebody, somebody to somebody, and then many d- links later in the chain made it to this person. Um, and it, it's not it here if we don't give the oral polio virus here. Wait, sorry, say that one more time. If we don't give the oral polio virus right. here, how could he possibly have gotten it here? Well, uh, that's a great question. That's a complicated question. Um, the, uh, the vaccines that we use in the United States, the IP. So first of all, actually there's, there's multiple methods. I would go into the, first of all, it could have been given, uh, by an unvaccinated person who is associated with this group. There could be a chain of unvaccinated people who pass this on to each other. And like I said, oftentimes, uh, in most, most cases, polio, uh, polio virus infection is asymptomatic. So it can silently transmit and ultimately landed somebody who seemingly at random becomes ill. Uh, but very importantly, uh, the vaccine that we use in the United States, IPV, an activated poliovirus vaccine, uh, is very effective, extremely effective. And I could give you some of the numbers on this at preventing mm-hmm. illness from uh, poliovirus infection. However, uh, IPV alone is, is typically not sufficient to, pr- to stop the spread of, of poliovirus when introduced to a community. Um, and so we, we can still, you can still have shedding of the virus. That's technically means you can be infected and uh, continue to spread it. And I want to talk about methods of spread because we haven't gotten there yet mm-hmm. either. Um, uh, but uh, IPV, you could still have spread in a country like the United States that's using IPV. So IPV is very uh, extremely effective when given with the full series. It's basically almost 100% effective at preventing illness, but you could still have transmission. And so what we're seeing here is um, you can have the potential for spread. And uh, we have communities here in New York, here in the United States, where vaccine coverage is also low and unvaccinated people can, are, are really at risk for illness when we have introduction of polioviruses. Um, and that's this, unfortunately the situation that we're looking at here. Someone who was unvaccinated and became ill through encountering this virus. Right. That's a really good explanation. So let's go backtrack yep. because there's so yep. much more to cover. And yeah, just absolutely. Start out, let's start out just what is polio? Right. So absolutely. So polio, um, polio is a type of enterovirus uh, and uh, it's spread through uh, predominantly through, not, ex- not exclusively through the fecal oral route. Um, and that means uh, uh, somebody uh, essentially is contacting fecal matter and it can be very small amounts. Um, 
that could be on objects or on other people and so forth. Um, or, and, or even in some uh, un, un, unclean water, and they're contacting small amounts of fecal material and it's getting into the, into the mouth. Um, and conversely, hygiene is really paramount to, is really a paramount uh, piece of cutting transmission of the polio of, of, of polio virus. And so it's spread through the fecal oral route. You know, back in the day, we used to have, particularly in the 1950s, we had some very tremendous waves of infection in the United States, often around this time of year, actually in the late summer, um, and, and very much affecting children who, as we all know, children are not necessarily known for hygiene, and they all touch each other, and they touch their, you know, all sorts of, all parts of their body, and hand washing isn't, doesn't come first nature. And so we would used to have massive waves of infection in the United States, um, that unfortunately make many, many children ill. And uh, for people familiar with pictures from that era, you know, the, the paralytic symptoms um, really ranged from, uh, you know, um, issues at the extremities, problems walking, which may have been permanent or lifelong, I mean, um, temporary or permanent lifelong. But in more extreme versions of the paralysis would actually impact the lungs and the lungs wouldn't function. And uh, people may be familiar with pictures of iron lungs where children were being supported with essentially a primitive form of ventilator um, to support their breathing, uh, sometimes very only temporarily for a few weeks, but often sometimes also for much longer um, until symptoms subsided or they never did. So um, that's sort of the, sort of the, that was sort of the history of the of polio virus until we got this miracle called uh, you know, the, the SOC and, and Sabin uh, vaccines, which really were game changers um, in reducing this, uh, reducing this plague from, from this country. Right. And the SOC and the Sabin, they refer to one as the inactivated and one as the oral? I believe so. Um, I, a few things. Yeah, we should just refer yeah. from now on to the inactivated and the yeah. oral so you don't get yeah, it's a, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we used the, the oral polio yeah, vaccine in America too until how long ago? I don't know if you have it. it oh, geez, it was it was phased out around 2000 or the early 2000s. I don't quite have the year, um, but right, the United States phased out oral polio, OPV. We call the um, the oral poliovirus vaccine, which was um, a, a what we call a live attenuated virus vaccine. So attenuated is really important. Live sounds scary. Attenuated is really important. It means it's a weakened form of the virus. So couldn't really make you sick. And, uh, but it was a lot, it was sort of a weakened live form of the virus that was really good at training your immune system to fight this virus. And it was so good that it was actually really critical uh, is, a, is a very critical tool still used worldwide to cut transmission and cut outbreaks. It's very powerful, but has a few, uh, important issues associated with it. One of which is the very rare, but sometimes happens this uh, issue of reverse mutation to a more virulent or more uh, illness causing form of the virus, which is unfortunately the situation related to the situation that we're dealing with today. Where you get vaccine derived polio. Correct. Mm -hmm. A very rare outcome and really not one of consequence in some sense, unless you're unvaccinated, um, which now there is, if that, in the event that happens and you have unvaccinated uh, or low vaccinated communities, they can be at risk. And the, some of this concern is why the United States moved away from OPV to an IPV only strategy after the elimination. This is well after, this is deck of several, two, uh, you know, two decades after the United States eliminated 
polio in 1979. Mm-hmm. So, last case of country U.S. acquired regular wild polio. Correct. So we've had very sporadic reintroductions, um, very sporadic, mostly travelers, been mm-hmm. one or two instances of a very brief local transmission episode. 2000. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, but these are very few and far between. The U.S. has essentially eradicated polio, which makes it a very safe situation for going to an IPV-dominated uh, strategy. Right, but I think it's important also to tell the story. I don't have it in front yeah. of me, but my understanding is there was a, a, a man, a regular person, whose son had the oral polio vaccine and got an extremely, extremely rare reaction where he actually mm-hmm. got paralytic polio from the oral polio vaccine. And that, I believe, occurs in one in 2.4 million cases. So it's exceedingly rare. Exceedingly, yes. Instead of trashing all vaccines or even the polio vaccine, he went to government officials and said, what is the risk of getting paralytic polio in this country? And it was basically zero. And he said, well, then why would you even take a risk of one in 2.4 million? And they agreed and we switched and activated, which is an example, first of all, of how even one person can make a difference to make our vaccines even safer, right? And also to show how safe they are that even that small risk of one in 2.4 million is balanced. If it doesn't balance that, we take it out. We don't take that risk. And the American IPV is, does not have that risk. You cannot get polio from the IPV or inactivated polio vaccine. That's, that's a good, good tale and an important point. Yeah, right. Because I think it's important every step of the way for us, you know, there's a tremendous amount of distrust right now in our country. You know, distrust, particularly in communication of, of science, particularly related yep. to disease. We're not going to use the C word in this entire talk. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, we're, we're talking about this in the context of, of tremendous distrust. And I think it's really important yes. to, to say every step of the way. So then why use OPV anywhere? Well, OPV is uh, an important tool for, uh, for cutting transmission, as we talked about. And I think I, I'm sure there's other global immun- uh, vaccination experts that can list a whole bunch of other reasons. But that is a really an important value of OPVs for really helping to ensure global eradication. <laughs> um, and it's a tool and that's part of it. And so you'll see countries where there's a mixed schedule where it's predominantly IPV, but you'll see a dose of OPV put in there. Um, and it's sort of to get that dual benefit, but not using only OPV, using only OPV increases the chances of having some of these vaccine uh, derived uh, mutations. Now to get very technical, there's multiple types of OPV, ones with and without the type two, uh, Sabin type two. And that one is the, 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 the many countries are moving away to using only what's called the bivalent, which uses types one and three and not type two. And that is actually even safer because uh, it, it's less likely to have this reverse mutation situation. So there's lots of flavors of this around the world, but what's important I think is really what you said that here in the US, we use IPV, which is extraordinarily safe and extraordinarily protective against paralytic or uh, disease. And that's what we want people to go out and get. <laughs> um, it has, you know, in the, it would have, you know, it had this person in this uh, situation that we've, re- that we've been reporting on, had that person had IPV, they would not have been paralyzed, they would have been protected. And uh, that's the action that we want people to take. We know that some of the home counties and communities of uh, or the, the home, the home county that this case came from, which is Rockland County 
here in New York has a very low uh, coverage rate of IPV. And we're very concerned that there's others in the community at risk. When you say low, can you give numbers, please? Yeah, I can bring up the exact number. You know, there's a lot of ways to slice and dice the numbers. What we look at is, um, let me give you our, what what we've been reporting on is our uh, complete, uh, sort of the three doses by age two, which is a very common metric um, that's used uh, across the United States to assess where a community's at on vaccination. So we look at, so children who have received three doses by age Two in Rockland County here, it's about 60.3%. So 40% of children who are on, you know, who have reached age two are not what we consider sufficiently protected against uh, polio disease, and that's that's troubling. It's and troubling. What would the rest of the area be like, just as a comparison? Uh, the statewide average is about 80%, 79%. Mm-hmm. So a fair deal higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously we have other counties that are on the lower end, but Rockland and also neighboring Orange County that we're very concerned about as well um, are, are also low. I can get you the number for Orange. It's uh, 58.7, so very close and also low. Wow. So, so the, when you look at those numbers and you look at, you know, we have a case of paralytic disease. We know there's many others out there for every one case of paralysis. And we haven't even talked about the wastewater data that we're looking at, but we're seeing detection of this virus linked to the case um, in both Orange and Rockland counties. And so what that means is there is circulating virus. And unfortunately, we have children in these communities who are essentially sitting ducks um, and really are in need of vaccination to protect their health. Right. You know, I think, first of all, I just want to mention the U.S. schedule and the Israeli schedule, just so people have that fact in front of them. The U.S. schedule is two, four, six months, 18 months, and then between four and six years, another booster. And I do believe that by six months, there's a 99% protection Correct. against getting paralytic polio. But remembering if it's circulating in community, it can still be shed in your through your body because it won't prevent it going through the gut. That's right. Okay. And then in Israel, I just found it so fascinating. I wrote this down. Hmm. It's also two, four, six months, um, but it, with the inactivated. But then at six months, they also give the oral polio. They start the oral polio then. And then they give inactivated at 12 months and six years and 18 years. Hmm. And it's another oral polio at 18 months. And then they catch up people who've missed the two oral polio up to age 18. Very aggressive. Why hmm. is it different there than here? That's a good question. I'll, I'll be honest. That's sort of outside of my zone. I can't, I'm not sure fully why Israel has adopted that that aggressive of a, of a mixed strategy. Right. My, my understanding is polio has not been eradicated everywhere in the world. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that wild polio itself is still circulating. Correct. And then you're going to get me on my, my Middle Eastern geography. <laughs> I don't know if you have any countries. I think one of them is Afghanistan. Correct. You know, some other countries. I mean, you're, you know, you're talking about Yes, I believe that it's that it has been found in sewage in neighboring areas, and so as long as yes. there's a bit, um, either vaccine derived or wild polio, right? Because it could right. be you're still using the oral polio there, and it still hasn't had enough um, yeah. vaccination rate, so it still circulates. And yeah. so as long as there's a risk of either wild polio or vaccine derived polio, you need to give the oral polio to prevent spread and also paralytic. Polio, well, spread for sure. 
Yes, I think I think you've hit on a theme that I think with a little more articulately, you know, we were very close to global polio eradication. Mm-hmm. I can't remember how, how many years ago, but let's call it between one to two decades ago. And um, there was increased transmission actually associated in sort of the North African and Middle Eastern regions associated with uh, Muslim holiday pilgrimages, where we had migrations of persons um, that uh, were spread, that essentially made sort of insufficiently vaccinated persons and there was spread and transmission. And we sort of moved backwards in some key countries on global polio eradication. And so Israel's neighborhood uh, sort of requires, I think, perhaps that more aggressive strategy that you're talking about. Right. But as long as you follow their schedule, you're starting out with three inactivated polios to protect you from getting correct very, very right, paralytic polio from the vaccine. So I, I thought it was a brilliant strategy. Um, so that's that's the vaccine schedule. Um, I want you to go back to where sure. you were with the vaccine rates. I think you were talking about Orange County. Uh, not the vaccine, the vaccine rates in Orange County um, yep. and Rockland County being low. Yep. Did you have more to say on that or should we move on? <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to say, well, though, it's very important to say that we have to be very, very careful here. And I know that not all the media has been as careful about this um, and not in pointing to these are Orthodox communities and blaming the Jews. I mean, I think it's a very, very sensitive thing. Um, both from the perspective of not enhancing anti-Semitism, but also enhancing distrust within the religious communities that already have felt um, persecuted in yeah. other situations. Yeah. Like look at COVID, you know, I mean, I live in the New York City area where I remember, you know, some, I'm not going to mention the politicians, names, but, you know, we kind of felt like a political football here, you know? Yeah. People were also not wearing masks or or, or were getting this C virus that we're not going to talk about. Um so I think it's a really sensitive issue. And I think we have to really be careful to yep. say that the anti-vaccine movement yep. is not specific to the Jewish people. It's not specific to anyone, right? It's just yep. a combination of pockets of not vaccination. That's right. The virus doesn't care, right. you know, who, who, where, where you worship or who your God is or anything, right? right? And um, it, it just finds its way to, to low vaccinated communities. And that's where we're concerned. That's right. And we're being very careful not to name specific groups or communities. I know you've seen, right. There's all sorts of stuff yeah. in, in the media. That's not productive, right. right? Everyone cares about their health, their children's health, or, you know, and the, the well-being of their neighbors. And that's where our messaging is, um, you know, and um you know, so I, yeah, so I agree. I think we, we want to appeal to the, to those common values. Um, obviously protection of the health and of health and the body and the neighbors is all, those are all Jewish values too. <laughs> so we're not, you know, it's it, fortunately very consistent. Um, but we're, we're, we're concerned wherever we see low vaccination rates, um, frankly. Um, and those are two counties in the New York city metro area uh, that we're really, really concerned about. Again, it's this perfect storm. We're seeing it in the wastewater. We have a case of paralysis, and we have low vaccination. It's it's unfortunately a real a real problem. Um, you know, what we you know, just to take a, a little bit of an aside, you know, we, there was a big measles outbreak in the same areas a few years ago. Um, I'm sure many people, you know, listeners are, are remember that. Mm-hmm. And there was a change in the laws that was what came as part of that to really require vaccination or to sort of eliminate religious exemptions for uh, vaccination for school entrance. 
And so what we're seeing is, so that was very effective, actually. It was very effective at increasing vaccination rates by school and by school age. But what we're seeing, and I think some of it's part of the doubts or direct anti-vax sentiments that, that have come up, we're seeing a deferral until that school entrance age. And so what was originally a productive tool is now has this other side, other downside. And we're seeing this real low coverage, let's say before age five. And then we see eventually things sort of get better. And so those data that I was quoting about the two-year-olds is really concerning because we have uh, really a very vulnerable group. We have parents who are deferring that choice until later. um, And that leaves their children vulnerable right now in this summer where we're seeing polio spread. Right. I, I've heard it said that not vaccinating your child on time is like putting them in the car seat after you get to your destination. Right. Yeah. Right. So especially right. now that it's here, you know, I think there are, you know, a lot of people who are realizing that it's a real threat. A lot of my patients, I'm a pediatrician, have said, oh, I don't have to worry about polio because that's not a thing. I used to say, by the way, that our borders are porous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it is in other yeah. countries. You're going, you know, places and people are coming here. So that was really not true that yeah. it was never a threat. You know, I want to go in and be very specific about um, the rate of paralytic polio. I think, first of all, we shouldn't focus just on paralytic polio because besides causing paralysis, it also can cause meningitis. Absolutely. Much more frequently. Um, we can give the rates for wild polio right, which is one in 200 people who acquire wild polio will become, get paralytic version, and there is no specific treatment for it. But one in 25 will get meningitis, right? Um, And I think that it's also, I'm pointing this out specifically because people who read your article will come out with a less frequent rate of paralytic polio from the vaccine-derived polio strain that you talk about, the two strain. Yeah. Um, And I think it's important to say that that number in your article is the best estimate you have. And I don't think people should walk around thinking, oh, it's only one in 200 or it's only whatever one in that article is. It's the other way around. You should think, well, if it's infrequent, but I've seen a case, then how much is going around? Absolutely. That's exactly what I've been saying. Your family. Right. If we're seeing right, one ill person, and now it's more, you know, hundreds and hundreds, you know, it could be hundreds and hundreds of people out there who are uh, transmitting. Some of them might be vaccinated, they're going to be completely fine. But if if this finds its way to an unvaccinated, susceptible person, they could get extremely ill. They could be paralyzed. And we haven't even talked about, sometimes there's death. We haven't even mentioned death. You know, when I talked about sort of paralysis of the lungs, that can lead to death. And that people used to die every summer Many people used to die every summer uh, of polio uh, before we had the virus, before we had the vaccine introduced. So this is real. So there's a real spectrum of illness, right? Uh, meningitis, one in twenty-five. Um, but we're talking someone, someone could die here, and this is this is this is a life and death uh, concern. Right, and again, like this, I'm, I'm giving flashbacks from the measles outbreak when I would talk to people and say, "Well, what number of people with measles die?" You know, there was a lot of measles cases, and a lot of them were very mild. And so some people's experience yeah. was, well, my neighbor got it and was fine and my neighbor's kid and da, 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 da. And they just had like a bad cold. I mean, I wouldn't call measles a bad cold on the average. People get quite sick um, and it can ruin your immune system later. But putting those little yeah. aside, um, I think it's very important not to underestimate. I think that's what the anti-vaccine movement does. It, 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 it yeah. exaggerates the risk of the vaccine, and it also minimizes the risk of the disease. And 
we can't afford that. Yeah. 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 I agree. Um, I think there's sort of these false equivalencies. Well, we don't know X or feel this or this, you know, here's some, some distorted factoid about the vaccine or the risk of the disease and they're put on a level playing field that isn't fair. You know, we have a very rigorous process through the FDA um, their, 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 their bodies, the CDC's bodies that they can be notably the ACIP, um, which evaluates these risk benefit questions. And I mean, for polio, it's clear. I mean, there's uh, mountains of evidence on the safety and the, uh, the effectiveness of this, the, the, the likelihood of anything adverse, um, uh, happening is so minute, um, with IPV compared to, even if it's one, you know, I have a quote a specific number, but you know, you, the risk of paralysis in this moment with this strain in these counties, I mean, it's it's a crazy gamble, right? That you have an extremely safe thing that works all it would works to perfection essentially, uh, with your when you're fully up to date, and uh, you're it's a crapshoot with with get with because with paralysis, meningitis, or worse, and um, there is no there is no equivalency here. So right. this vaccine, I'm a pediatrician. I'm telling you, I, I yeah. the oral polio era. Um, I remember having it and it was so delicious. I wanted a second one, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. polio, but that, that dates me. Um, but the, the inactivated is so it's such a benign, like some vaccines are more reactive. Like people don't yeah. get flu vaccine and you may feel flu like, you know, and some people complain, they really feel sick after it. Um, we're not talking about the C vaccine. We're just not. Yeah, yeah, sure. My point is that it's not a new vaccine and it's no. not a reactive vaccine. It's super safe. Yeah. If you're making a risk benefit equation, like to those of us who know the vaccine, we're like, we don't get it. Why would you not yeah. get the polio yeah. vaccine? No, right. This is ex- extremely well studied, given all over the globe for years. You know, right. The other newer vaccine, right, the C vaccines, right. Um, obviously I, yeah, I think we will all support that they're safe and highly effective, but those, uh, haven't, st- uh, those, ha- those are newer. So fine. Okay. But this is not, this is not, this is not that I fully agree. Right. 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 Yeah. So that's, that's important to point out. Um, so I have a question for you. Sure. If, if this IPV is so effective at, at least at preventing paralytic polio, why do we have more doses than the three? Why are we boosting two more times? That's a good question. I, you know, I, I'm not as up on the sort of the the kinetics of this over time. I think um, the boosters I, is just I, I I would is exactly what it is to boost to to boost and get life sort of more lifelong lasting immunity. Um, I know right ACIP switched in 2009 to that that fourth booster dose at age four, um, and I, I have to get back to you on the full rationale for that for the booster, um, but. Um, there, there obviously must have been some evidence to support that 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 would sort of provide a longer, more durable protection. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in Israel, they're giving a super, super, you know, extensive. Yeah. I think the simple answer is yeah. that the IPV is so incredibly safe and polio is potentially so devastating. Yeah, that's right. So even if let's say it's 99% effective, which we would say that's amazing, great, 99%, 1% not effective is not a gamble we want to take. So I'm saying 99 for three doses, right? right? That's not a gamble worth taking, right? Essentially is what you're saying. Uh, because polio is so devastating, we don't want to slide backwards on our global eradication efforts, right? We don't want to take that chance that this thing is so safe, it can't hurt to give it. So I think that is a that is a really good way to frame it. Um, and right. an important. Right. And by the way, everybody's asking me, should they get a polio booster? I've been vaccinated. Should I get a polio booster? 
This is a problem. People who are already vaccinated are not the ones I want to hear asking. That's right. No, that's right. You know, if this is really a challenging moment, right? What we're most concerned about are people with zero doses. Mm-hmm. Um, that's we want to get the first, the second, the third, but you know, really that first, frankly, into the people with zero doses, it's because they are at risk in this moment in this outbreak in New York. Um, it's as simple as that. However, um, what we've also recommended, we issued a health advisory recently, is people that are in affected communities who feel they're at risk, who may have had an exposure. Uh, go get a booster. And, and sort of for the reason that you said, it can't hurt. There's only benefit. There's no drawback. Um, if for panic and everybody should be running to get, you know, that would be a kind of waste of our resources. It would be. And it, it's really a challenge, right? How do we sort of, di- how do we do this? How do we, we want people who want to be safe uh, to, we want to give them actions to take. And that's an important action, but we don't, we don't all need to make a run on boosters. Um uh, you know, at this point. So it, it's, it's tricky. Right, right, right. No, that's true. Um, so since we know that IPV won't, won't prevent the spread within a community where it's circulating, right? Yep. So is, is there a way to get herd immunity for polio? For, for a transmission, you mean, so for, for, yeah, you mean, right. And to sort of cut transmission and get to that herd immunity. In other vaccines, you can get herd immunity. You can say, okay, we need 96% vaccination for herd immunity. And right. a few people who aren't or couldn't be vaccinated can right. ride waves of or community immunity, they call it now. Yeah. And this, this is really one of the, the vulnerabilities of an, of, of the, I think of the IPV strategy. And I think also calls into play why we need other strategies, um, so, I mean, I think I mentioned at the beginning, but hygiene is essential. Polio virus is transmitted um, through the fecal oral route and, and poor hygiene promotes its transmission. Um, and uh, that's an essential piece of, of responding to this moment is we need to be able to, pr- to educate communities on how to cut transmission. That means hand washing. Um, you know, that means if there is a case, we want to make sure that person is not contacting other people. Um, but it really, we're talking methods of hygiene, um, isolation of cases and so forth as, as methods of stopping spread. So it's, you're right, IPV is, is less effective for cutting transmission. I don't have a good, I don't have a real herd immunity number to, to put out for IPV, but I think um, we use it as a tool in c- countries where there normally is not polio, like, like the US, where we essentially had or had eradicated it it's really the safest strategy for keeping, it's the safest strategy in terms of the safest vaccine. Um, and it's also extremely productive against illness should there be reintroduction. But it's a very delicate, it's a very, it's very delicate how to choose your vaccine strategy and, and your prevention strategy. Right, and I also think that you have to not just think about yourself. You may say, okay, I have IPV, I'm not gonna get sick with it, but I could transmit it to someone who was too young to be vaccinated an immune problem, right? Someone much more vulnerable than me. I feel like that's for some reason a very hard message to sell. Yeah. But it shouldn't be. Yeah. Right? Because the only reason we're having this problem is not simply because we used oral polio somewhere in the world, right? But because we have a significant um, gap in vaccination rates in some communities. Right. No, that's right. It's the union of both of those issues. That's right. Um, and it's right. So it's, uh, you know, exactly that. 
and and, and but it's it, you know, it's, it's, it has, it is related to this global use of OPV. It's related to the fact that the o, a, a OPV type two was used somewhere, which is no longer really in main use. It made its way here, and we have a vulnerable community. So it's really it's all of that. Yeah, I have a question: Is OPV two used in Israel now? I have to look that up. I would be surprised. So then this strain didn't come from Israel. We don't know. We haven't tracked this all down, right? Where this original, you know, virus vaccine derived polio came from, because we know it didn't come from the U.S. That's right. So it, yes and no. So there's we there's been some sequence analysis done mm-hmm. of this what's what's been detected here in this case and in the wastewater here in the in New York. Um, there's a linkage to wastewater detections in Israel and in, and in the UK. Um, so what we, that, what that tells us is this is spreading in multiple countries. It's not telling us where the source is. And as you said, it may not be any of those countries, but people move all around the world and here we are. Um, and it's being detected in these places circulating, but where we really, our alarm bells really go off is when we start to see sick people, because that's where you have circulation and unvaccinated people. Um, right. yeah. That can be underscored enough. We have to go over that again. Yeah, sure. So- it's, it's going to be twisted back at us. Well, only a small percent get paralytic polio. No, it's the other way around. We already have a case of it. Right. In America. Yeah. So I want you to elaborate on that, please. What that means. That's right. So, right. No, that's right. I mean, for every one person with paralysis, we're talking um, many, many hundreds, likely, uh, persons who don't have paralysis but have been infected with polio and are likely trans, are also going, contributing to ongoing transmission. In the same counties that we're talking about, we're looking at thousands of children not up to date on their vaccines and adults. We haven't talked about the adults, but we have a less view, lesser good view of the adults. We know that there's unvaccinated children today. And so we're talking uh, thousands of susceptible children. We think there's hundreds or thousands of infections out there. And we're, we're concerned. We don't want to see another case like this. It's very possible very, very possible, given that math, that we might see another case of paralysis. That's someone with lifelong disability, someone who might get very, very sick, someone who could die. Not only that, we have even talked about the fact that you could have reemergence of polio later in life. Mm-hmm. Someone could be asymptomatically infected or very mildly sick and have a reemergence decades later from now in their life and then become very, very ill then. Um, viruses are good at hiding in the body. Um, and so, you know, this could really be a a lifelong, uh, disability for some people. So, um, so what we're talking about is we should not poo poo. Oh, it's just one case, whatever one case, it should be all the sirens are going off that we have a problem tip of the iceberg. iceberg. And, and, you know, the report that came out today, from us here in New York with Rockland County, Orange County, CDC all on uh, collaborating on this. <coughs> um, we detailed not just the case, which again speaks to this issue of, okay, we got many, many out there. We have seen this virus uh, linked to the case appearing in both Orange and Rockland counties before, during, and after the diagnosis of this case, mm. which tells us there's more than one person. Um, um, it's very unlikely that one person was able to use the bathroom in all those locations and all those times um, and, and, and have the, uh, uh, this detection of 
polio virus in the stool, which is what we're talking about. We're talking about in the sewage water, which we can test. We're seeing detection of the virus in multiple locations over, over a very extended period of time. And I can pull up the dates. In but, New York City. What? New York City. That's right. I haven't mentioned New York City. New York City was outside of this report, but there has been a detect- detection in New York City, which was reported on over the past week through a right. There was a press release. And that uh, there is some also connection to this, uh, to this case. It's a little, um, the picture is a little fuzzier because uh, this is technical on how wastewater works in New York City, but it's a lot more people contributing to one wastewater plant. So there's sort of a dilution issue. It's a little hard to get the picture, but we think the right, there is detection in New York City that's also part of the picture. This is more than one person. We're talking multiple people, perhaps hundreds or thousands of people. And if you are unvaccinated, you are a sitting duck to a deadly disease right now in New York, you know, um, which is just a very safe vaccine. Very safe vaccine. So frustrating. Right. Four decades after the United States eliminated this. I mean, we're sliding backwards on a, you know, we we led global uh, eradication efforts and here we are sliding backwards in 2022, which is just shocking. You know, I have to say one thing. I, I have been in touch with Chava Willa-Gleavy, who is a mm-hmm. well-known author. She wrote a book, the great title, A Life Notwithstanding, um, because she has polio, post-polio mm-hmm. syndrome, uh, is in a wheelchair. She yeah. has ventilated now because of the post-polio syndrome. And one thing she said to me actually just today is she had it in August. So this is her anniversary of getting it however many decades ago. Um, And she said that in that one month, August, when she got it, there were 28,000 cases that one month alone, I think just in children. Wow. Um, And if you think about that, say the one in 200, you know, wild polio rate, that's 1,400 kids that month that had paralytic polio, including her. Yeah. It's unreal. And can you imagine what she thinks now, right? Looking at this, what we're doing right now, when we now have a vaccine that could have changed her whole life. Yeah, that's Loaded right. People, and it's safe. And it's, we have time that has proven it to be safe. That's right. Yes. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. really, it's really mind boggling. Yeah. So no. I know we're going to ask, they're going to say, are there titers? I want to know if I'm immune. Because that's great. Measles. They asked about measles titers. There are measles titers. Yeah. So uh, there is no such avail- test available uh, anymore. We don't do- practical. There have been, but I think they retired anymore. the type two. That's right. So right now in the United States, there are no co- you know, commercially available ready to go tests for titers for this. Let's put it this way. If you're not sure if you're protected, go get a booster. I mean, it's sort of, it's just what we're talking about. It's safe. It's effective. Right. You know, yeah, save yeah. yourself the time, save the resources, just go get a booster. Um, that's the answer to that question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how do people test for polio? How do they know they have it? So that's a great question. So, you know, well, this is, it's funny you should ask because we're not routinely doing this kind of testing. You know, it's not, you know, go to CVS and say, I want a polio test uh, because we eradicated this. I mean, that's what, and they want to almost come back to that almost absurdity, the absurdity of the moment of the question. We eradicated polio. I can't believe we have to ask about polio testing. This is something that we should, we, we need to, but anyway, um, the most reliable method is through stool testing. So we're taking a sample of feces and we're testing it. Um, so for example, here, 
uh, with this paralytic case that we're talking about. It was a, a specimen that was tested at our, our public health laboratory in Albany, the Wadsworth Center. Um, uh, what we do is a, a PCR test, so it's a type of nucleic acid uh, test, DNA test, and we're uh, testing for enteroviruses, the class of viruses that contains polio. A second test is done to confirm it's polio. It goes to the CDC for additional testing and sequencing. So it's not uh, a run-of-the-mill test. You know, it's we're talking a special test on feces. Um, however, and in particular, this is important for the physicians that are listening. Um, we we have issued several health advisories to clarify the role of testing. We are concerned for all the reasons we've talked. We are concerned about additional cases out there. We would like physicians where we want to make sure physicians are aware when to suspect polio virus, particularly in an unvaccinated person, and to encourage uh, testing. Um, you know, and we're really encouraging testing, particularly in Rockland and Orange counties. I can go up. We have a whole algorithm for this. But if you're a physician in Rockland and Orange County seeing patients who are unvaccinated. There's a, we, we are encouraging a, a somewhat more liberal scheme of testing of stool because we want to make sure we're finding cases, even some more mild ones that we might otherwise be missing. We want to make sure that we're finding those um, cases. Wait, Another, wait, wait, wait a second, when you say more mild, because again, underscoring that most polio is not paralytic, right? Yeah, yeah. A large percentage has no symptoms at all. So you're not going to be testing those. Well, and I'll pull, I'm like, now I'll actually pull up our recommendations because I want to make sure I, I can right. quote. And then of the, of the ones that are symptomatic, but not paralytic and not having meningitis, they may have just a nonspecific viral diarrhea, you know, exactly. or sore throat, you know, very nonspecific. You would never, ever think would be polio. That's right. And what we're saying is in some of those situations, particularly in Rockland and Orange County, you have an unimmunized or someone whose immune status you can't verify they have, and I like am reading it here just to make sure, you know, if they have, if I have this right, but they're living, working and attending school, et cetera, in these two counties. And they have uh, a sore throat or fever and, um, you know, tiredness, headache, nausea, et cetera. And they might, they've tested negative for some other uh, conditions. So we're talking COVID, influenza, stra uh, strep. Um, if we, if you've ruled out other conditions and you're not quite sure, we're encouraging that extra test for polio because we're, that's how concerned we are. And we want to encourage that kind of testing right now. So, um, I also should have mentioned that for case, you know, we, there's, there's a, there is one way that we routinely test for polio, which is if we see cases, what's called AFM, uh, acute flaccid myelitis, which is, uh, can be caused. It's a type of weakness caused by a variety of viruses those will be sent for a panel of tests, which includes polio. So, um, so there are there are a number of ways to get tested. We, this, there, none of them are just run up to a doctor and say, "I want, I want a test." Um, we can also do. Wait, I'm sorry. The acute flaccid. Before you start, the acute flaccid myelitis is something that pediatricians, in particular, are being warned about, caused by similar viruses, but there's no vaccine for that. That's right, and. I should point out, we issued a health advisory for acute flastomyelitis, AFM, shortly before the detection of this case. And we, we believe that um, issuing that advisory to remind providers to suspect AFM led to the diagnosis of this case. So, wow. Yeah. Right. Because who would have thought it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, so that, that's just that our providers are our front line. They're our front lines and communicating with them on 
what are the, the you know current things to look out for, how to test, what we're concerned about is really essential. It's our eyes and our, our ears and understanding what's going on. Right, right. Well, we have a lot of work ahead of us right now, right? I mean, that's really yeah. what it boils down to. And if you're a layperson listening to this, you know, make sure you're vaccinated and wash your hands, right? I mean, yeah. like the yeah. most important things, you know, to take home. And, you know, there's also good information for the healthcare professionals listening to this. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if you have anything you want to add. I think we covered an enormous amount in yeah. a yeah. period of time. No, it's been fun. Um, I, I think um, I think just again underscoring the value of, vac- of of vaccination with IPV. It's safe. The mm-hmm. I means inactivated. This has no live virus. This is not. This does not cause polio. Does not it is unrelated to the type of virus that this person received. Um, it is safe. It's effective. We're talking three, four doses to really get the protection that is that is needed. And again, the sort of the facts of the moment tell us there is circulation in New York, in a, you know, which had not seen a case of polio imported even since the 90s. Um, and we have we have been polio. You know, we, so we talked about eradication in 1979. There was importation, two cases of imported into New York in 1990. Nothing since. So this is a really historically uh, historic moment, a sad moment, mm-hmm. and one for which we have a tool. And it's called vaccination and we know it works. Right. And I want to not forget this because I, I you know, I, I can imagine people saying this, that yes, if you get the IPV vaccine, you can still shed polio virus, but not from the vaccine. Right. That's it's right. Because if you're exposed to it, when it's circulating in a community that's poorly vaccinated and that strain is circulating for whether it's vaccine derived or wild, the vaccine IPV does not let you shed from the no, that's right. Here, because I think right. It's that's right. If only if it's reintroduced, which again hasn't happened in decades, right. that could happen. Um, and we think, and hopefully, winter is coming, and this will die down, and maybe, the, and then that's it. So that's right. Um, this is this is about shedding when it's reintroduced because of uh, global concerns. Um, but we're not. But that's right. It's extremely safe. It's what we want people to do. And again, this. We, I mean, the, all the alarms are going off. We have a paralytic case detection, multiple, right? New York City, Rockland County, Orange County, all connected. Um, it's, this is not like a, oh, it's just a fluke. We know it's here. We know it's circulating. And you're uh, unfortunately very vulnerable. I, I said sitting duck or whatever the right metaphor is. If you, if you or your child is not vaccinated, um, yeah, this is a very vulnerable moment. Right. Right. This is the time yeah. to get vaccinated if you're not yet. Yeah. So I want to thank you so, so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate Fun. it. Thank you. Yeah, thank let's. You so much. Of course. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A, dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.